0: More in church. Morning, Church. Hello. Uh, I th- I think it's really just uh, uh, providential of what uh, the opportunity to be able to be with you and to be able to share God's word with you. I'm just excited about like the kingdom and what uh, God does in His kingdom. And uh, Ron had earlier asked me to come preach because he was going to be gone on a conference. And out of town, and then it just ended up that uh, in this past week of him needing to love and care for the family, the Geisler family, and so allowed him to free him up to be just fully uh, soaking in that ministry to the Geisler family, and so I, I, again, I think it's our God just working providentially in our lives, and I am with you in the, the grieving process because Uh, The geysers come out to Blue Water, and when they come, we have to order a lot extra coffee. They they order a lot of extra coffee. We got to order a little bit more uh, uh, fuel for our boats because all those kids and the tube rides, and it's just Tom was in the midst of that and just joyfully uh, just bringing the excitement and adventure at at that time of his family being around him. So I'm grieving with you. We are with you in, in the loss and just want you to know that we are praying for this church as you continue to move forward fun to be able to share with you the heart of, uh, of, of what Paul speaks to us in Philippians and continue to take uh, uh, Pastor Ron's sermon series on, on joy of the gospel and from Philippians and to be able to kind of share my insights into this next place where uh, Ron has been taking us. Uh, someone said, the reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the sane ones from going home. I, I kind of find that funny. You know, they're, they're, they're all tied together there. They're all tied up on that rock, on the pre, on the crevices around them. And they're really there, though, for also helping each other, encouraging each other, being there. If someone does fall, the other ones can help alongside. And it's really building a team. That's a building a team and striving towards one goal, to reach the top of the mountain, to reach a successful uh, uh, goal is really the mindset of where Paul is taking taken us today. I mean, if you're a Gophers fan, you hear it all the time from P.J. Fleck. He's always saying, row the boat, row the boat. You know, that's what we're doing. We're rowing the boat. And it, it's really this idea. And if you're in northern Minnesota, you know that idea putting your hands to the paddle and putting that oar into the water. And you're struggling against the uh, against that water, but you're doing it together. And And that's what he's trying to communicate with his football team, is that everyone's digging into the struggle, but they're arching their backs and they're using using their muscles to guide that boat in the same way, to power it through the water, to go on that same purpose and mission together. Row the boat. And so here we have Paul challenging us, challenging the church of Philippi, Philippi to move together in unity in the midst of the struggle of living the gospel. But it is so worth it. It's so worth it to move together in that struggle, to go through those things together. And so before we get into the text today, we must remember what Paul said right before and what Pastor Ron spoke of last week. Because the word that Paul uses, therefore, is one of those words where, again, it's probably a dad joke or an English teacher joke. We got to know why is the therefore, therefore, right? What is it there for? What is previous to it? And the words that Paul says is, I, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. And since you are going through that same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I have, therefore, so he, he comes in with a message of you're struggling, you're going to struggle. It's not just about belief, but you're going to have hard times. I mean, it's just not one of those like encouraging rah-rah moments that I'm going to give to my basketball team before the next game, right? I mean, maybe you, you, you come in and you say, yeah, it's going to be a, a, a tough battle out there, but like to know and, and to hear Paul saying, you are going to wrestle. You are going to find that it's difficult. It's going to be a struggle. Look, at my life i'm struggling now here is where paul takes us though therefore let's listen to it let's listen to what he says as as uh as even pastor ron spoke of uh past the past week of disrupting the idolatry the to not to fear what is before us therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love, if any compassion, sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, and then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit, one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit; rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to e- but each of you to the interests. Of others, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and below the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So my first point that Paul, I think, brings out for us is the gospel should unify. It should unite us together. This mission that God has given to us to declare, to, to see the gospel go out in the world should unite the church, should unite us as followers of his way. If you have any encouragement from being united if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, that commonness, that unitedness, that gathering together under this one mission. He's calling the people of Philippi to unity. He's calling us to unity. To create a oneness, strive and to live that gospel which will provide this kingdom increase. And are we unified? Does our relationship with Christ bring a oneness of spirit and mind. I love camp because I I think it's one of those places where you get the kingdom of God coming together, uniting kids in a spot that is is, uh, adventurous, that is full of life, but also, as they come into this cabin, they're no longer the Roso Rams or the Bemidji Lumberjacks, who we really hate, or, uh, or you know, the, the, uh, from the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just not that anymore. Instead, they're in this cabin seven, and they're gathered together for devos, and they're saying, I'm wrestling with life. I'm wrestling with how to follow the way. I am wrestling how the narrow path is better than the wider path help me out here. And they hear that someone else is wrestling with that. That's the kingdom of God. It's not different churches that's coming together in this unity that we are following after him. So unity, unity probably starts really within our families, Starts in what are we doing as men and women, as parents, in our families, moving our sons and daughters together towards Christ. It it moves us in as a community of believers at the free church. It moves us together as we hang around in this building, as as we do activities together like broomball and gathering for meals. Moves us together, and then it moves us out into the world seeing the world as our mission field and as a place where we can be unified there. Look at these words, the encouragement, comfort, common sharing, tenderness, compassion. Remember that Paul would just had told them that they would suffer, but those are words that don't necessarily describe suffering. So how do we become unified? Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. So that is really the mindset to add to the idea of how do we go into unity is to see these people that are next to me above myself. To lay down my own ego, to lay down my pride and say the interest of others is more important. So my second point is, a servant mindset is Christ's attitude. A servant mindset is how Christ viewed it. And, and this is really the practical message of the text. That this mindset, this attitude among our, ourselves, which is Christ, which is found in Christ, we then can accomplish those goals that, and, and admonitions that he said in verses 1 through 4. You see, verses 5 through 11 show us how that is done by describing how Jesus, a servant, set that example. And so it's consistent with our nature. If you are in Christ, you are new, you have something different that's in you. You cannot allow Christ to live in you without being a servant. Those two go together. They're meshed together. They are one. Only through servanthood can you be obedient to God's call. In your life something I read and I thought was a great statement was to try to remember that our attitude remains abstract and, and intelligible it remains abstract and intelligible to those people that are around us until it is physically expressed until it comes outward this outward showing of what is inside us right It's something that comes from within that displays our our acknowledgement that God is ruling and Lord of our life. Attitude should always determine actions because actions demonstrate true attitude. So what you are is what you do. And therefore, when we look at Jesus as a servant leader, we see not just a man, but we see God living as a servant to humans. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus and his leadership style is from John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, I didn't put it up on the screens for us, but if you have a Bible or a device, you can go there because we're going to kind of go back and forth between this as we see what Paul's talking about lived out in Jesus. Because Jesus has gathered his team. He's gathered his friends that have been following him for this celebration, this worship of, of the Uh, taking of the Jewish people out of Egypt into their new land, the Passover. They've come and gathered in this room to celebrate the Passover. So it's kind of like that, that locker room time before what is about to come in Jesus' life. And he knows the road that he's traveling is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And so he's kind of unifying his team. Again, he's he's kind of brought them together for this moment and for this idea of encouragement for them. And and Jesus, as as he's in this room, he's preparing them for what's coming next. And I find it interesting that John includes, at this point, that John makes it worthwhile for us to note that Judas is there also. That Judas, the one that John declares Satan has already kind of gripped him and is against Jesus and is going to betray Jesus, is in their midst also. That Jesus is around this guy named Judas. He hasn't shoved them off from his team. He's there. I think that's going to be important for us to remember. Now, I always thought that Jesus washed his disciples' feet before or just as they came into the room, that thinking that you know maybe there were a couple of servants that were there, that that was their duty, and, and Jesus would come over to them and say, oh, no, I've got this. I'll, I'll take care of the washing of feet. I'll, I'll hang up their cloaks. I'll, I'll do this. But instead, John really portrays it that the meal is happening, that they're reclining into each other, that they're laying into each other, and Jesus is there, and then Jesus gets up that the meal is happening, that the meal is going on, and then he gets up. Others first. Others first and to get up from the table. Let me bring us back to Paul's words in Philippians. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So here we are, is that picture of God now that Paul is saying that he came down from his place and he came in human likeness, became man, the incarnation. He did not stay up in this reverent place at the throne of his father. Instead, he got up from the throne and came down. Jesus got up from the table and came to his disciples. He got up. You have to move. You have to get up and move towards others. Move towards others who are like you, which is a lot of you in this room. Move towards others who are like you in ways that you think, in the ways that you speak, in the ways that you are. But you also need to move towards others who are not like you. Right, that, that, And that's Judas, right? That's the one, and we're going to see that in just a bit. But it, he moves towards those guys that are his friends. He picked up the basin, and he brought it over to them. And he knelt down next to him. Again, in, in Jewish culture, they're probably reclining, right? And so their feet are right here, and it's like this this intimate moment with with their his friends with his disciples and he gets up and he moves towards them and he takes their feet and he puts it into the basin and he starts washing this, this grime and this dirt that is in, uh, on their way that they've been going and traveling, he starts washing their feet and, and kind of rubbing over the, over the toes. And, and I mean, if it was me, I'd be giggling. And it, but it's like in this moment, though, it's also like this serious time because you see Peter there saying, hey, don't wash just my feet, but wash my whole body. Jesus is like, no, no, just the feet, it's okay. And he washes and he washes them. And then he takes the towel and he, he wipes them off and he dries it. He's taken off his own cloak and he's, he's put on the towel. And, and so it's this moment, again, special with his friends, special with them. They're showing them that it's okay. It's okay. God is here in your midst serving you. I'm here with you. Jesus got up for the table. He put on a towel. He took on the towel. He took on this mantle of serving. This idea of a towel that is wrapped around God. He did not consider his godness something for his own advantage. And you see that throughout as Jesus talks, as Satan, as Satan tries to tempt him, he doesn't use it for his own advantage. The towel is there dirty. And it's around Jesus because he knows that serving his, his people, his friends, is what his father has asked him to do. It's not to stay clean. It's not to stay clean because now it, as Jesus has become less and he's wrapped in his towel around him, he's taken this idea of the servant and he serves his friends. He, he gets over and he's right in the midst of them. It comes with the cost too. It comes with the cost of washing each other's feet. I mean, and I can, again, picture it. It, It's it's dirty and grimy. It's it's a, a little humiliating for Jesus God to be washing their feet and to be around people, to be in their muck and in the dirt that they have walked and the path that they've walked on and the mud that they've been going through to be alongside them washing their feet. Such a great portrayal for us. Such a moment of saying that it's going to cost you, as you come alongside someone, it's going to cost you to get a little bit dirty. It's going to cost you a little bit maybe heartache where someone hurts you because you are trying to wash their feet. You're trying to walk alongside them in this life. It's going to cost you maybe some financial pieces, where you care for them, where you come alongside and feed them. It may cost you some time, uh, which is a a resource that is always precious. Our time with our family, our time doing other things, helping others may cost time in your life. It costs. It comes at a cost to be a servant, to follow and to wash others' feet, Now remember when I said that we must serve others that are not like us. And here's that rub. Here's that thing. Jesus didn't skip over Judas. He went to Judas, the guy that was betraying him, the guy that thought there was something else that Jesus should be doing, some other way that this could go down. You know, we can overthrow the Roman government. We can get more wealth and power and and be able to handle it better, Jesus. This is not the way I saw it happening. That was Judas' mindset, right? Here, though, Jesus comes to him and still says, I'm serving you. Judas, I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your mind. I'm going to wash your feet also. So if we are to have that same mind, the same attitude as Christ, we must realize how we can serve each other and those who are in need of hearing and seeing the gospel preached in front of them. And catch what Jesus says after washing their feet. Catch this. He says after washing, do you understand what I have just done? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you grasp what has just gone on? You call me teacher and Lord. And that's so, right? That is correct. For that is what I am. Now I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Mm. Servant, leadership, leadership. Verses 14 and 15 is one of the reasons I believe that Jesus' example of washing feet is very similar and rises to the similarity of communion and baptism. He says, you should do this. Not maybe, not when it's convenient, but I have set the example that you should do as I have done. At camp, uh, as staff come in, We have a night before the first camp called our covenant night where we are making covenant to each other that we are going to treat each other well. We are going to do things differently to be an example to the campers that come. And Micah and I have taken bowls and we come as leaders, as the camp director, as the program director, and we come alongside in front of each staff person and wash their feet and say, you are here for a purpose. And we are in this with you. We are alongside of you on this journey. We are in this mission together. We are going to go after this summer together and see what God does. We are in unity together for what God wants to do this summer. I know washing feet is not clean and celebratory as baptism or commun- communion, but it is very practical to keep us humble, to keep us in humility as an act that shows us that we have the mindset of Christ. I'll invite the worship team to come up as a come back and bring us back home into this last part that Paul invites us into in servant leadership. Humble attitude will be exalted. That same mindset that Christ has will be exalted. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, here on earth, in heaven, and under the earth, that every tongue can acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God and the Father. I, I just find it so interesting in how Paul brings this poetic summary of Christ's divineness wrapped in his humanity, wrapped in that humanity, and then returns it back to his divineness, to his divine nature of who he really is, fully God, fully man, and that oneness, that unity of the Son with the Father. Catch it in those phrases, the unity that happens Every knee, every knee will bow. Every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not to his glory too, because it's to his Father's glory. And so when we reflect Jesus' action, we reflect Jesus again to those that do not know him and the gospel to those, because it is so worth it. And it's not just so worth it for heaven. It's not just for, so worth it for after this life. It is worth it now. It is worth it to live now following his way. A servant attitude is much or more about being as doing. So be like Christ and be doing like Christ as you go for me.